chapter 7 tonight. <clears throat> We're getting down to the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I think uh, one more message on it and we'll be done. Uh, but tonight, <clears throat> we'll be in there again. When I was in college, like many of you have been, <clears throat> one of the things that every semester, uh, in my early years of college, every semester, I would always look forward to the final exams. Uh, because that meant that the semester was over and uh, I ha would have a break. But the problem with that is <clears throat> when you finished one semester, another one was coming. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, you got a break in there, but, you know, so what I, after... You know, a couple of years of college, which, you know, a total of six and a half years of college for me. Um, after a couple of years, I thought, I started thinking about the final, final exam, if that makes sense. You know, I started thinking about it and I thought, you know what, every, every semester I, I look forward to the, to the final exam and then, uh, then there's another semester, and and I would get you know, and it's like, oh man, another one, you know. So then I started, I started thinking about the final, final exam. <clears throat> it was a day that I anticipated because it would have been the completion of my studies. No more quizzes. No more tests. No more exams. And I, the day I finished college, the day I took my final uh, Greek, my my last Greek test, my final exam, and I and um, passed it. I said, "Praise God! There's no more tests, no more quizzes, no more exams." What I didn't realize was that the testing was just beginning. God has still used tests and exams and quizzes in my life to grow me and stretch me. And what I thought was a and excited. I would much rather go back and take those kind of tests than the tests I've been through in the last 15 years. But we all face we all face quizzes, tests, and exams in our lives, and um, God is still working on me. Now I can truly say I'm I'm looking forward to the. Final, final exam, if you would. One day, I will stand before him. The Greeks had a race that they would run in their Olympic Games that was very unique. The winner was not the first runner 
to finish. The winner was the runner who finished first while still having his torch lit. Interesting, interesting test of endurance to run as fast as you can without letting the torch go out. And I, I, as I thought about that, I thought maybe, maybe it was, you know, just because of Paul's writings, we can, we can tell that Paul loved athletics because um, he references it a lot. And, and, and as I was thinking about that, I thought, I wonder if that is the, the, the race that Paul was talking about when he wrote in Acts. <clears throat> uh, well, they said Acts. He didn't write Acts, did he? No. Luke wrote Acts. Um, okay, maybe, okay. Maybe it was Luke was thinking about this event when he wrote this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 18 to, uh, to 24, it says, And when they were come to him, uh, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came unto Asia, and after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Now this is talking about Paul. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed thee, uh, but have showed you, <clears throat> and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witnessing in every city, saying <clears throat> that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. Paul was a man who endured many quizzes, tests, and exams in his life. Paul was a man who went through a lot. And he was looking forward to that final, final exam when he would stand before God and he would hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This evening, the title of my message is The Final Exam. The Final Exam. In, the, in Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> let's start reading in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I have, uh, uh, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name and uh, have, uh, have cast out devils and in thy name done many wondrous works? Verse 23, 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day, for your love and for the work you do. And Lord, tonight as we look at this very important passage, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us and you would strengthen us, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The final exam here is not about what we think about ourselves. This is not, this is not a, a test of, of, of self-thought. This is not a test of what other people think of us. This is a test of what God thinks. The final exam is about what God will say. The final exam is not about learning religious vocabulary. It's not about church membership. It's not about memorizing Scripture. It's not about singing Christian songs. It's not even about doing the ability to do miracles. It boils down to what God says. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9, it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject uh, to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then we, or excuse me, so then they uh, that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. As we look at this passage that, 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 that we read here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus says in three verses something that has generated a lot of questions. Actually, two really two main questions, but a lot of questions have come from this. But two questions that we're going to talk about tonight that seem to contradict Scripture. Okay, I want to I want to get this right out of the gate. The Bible does not contradict itself. Hello. Okay, the Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. Okay. Um, so, when you read something in Scripture that oftentimes you'll think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because I just read this over here. Uh, there's always a reason, okay? There's always a reason. And the Bible always answers itself. So, <clears throat> the two questions that have come up regularly because of these three verses, uh, question number one, can someone lose their salvation? Okay, this is something that many, many people struggle with, and it is a, it is a good question. I, I have no problem sitting down and, and talking with people that are struggling with this question in their lives. I, I have known many people over the, over the years that have struggled with this. I want to say this. 
A confused or discouraged Christian is a worthless Christian. And what better way to confuse a believer than to get them to doubt their salvation? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, <clears throat> this is the holiday season, right? And we're getting ready to go into the, where we got, we got uh, Thanksgiving in the rear view mirror, and we're looking at Christmas. And <clears throat> in a few weeks, uh, we're going to be getting together as family and friends, and you're going to be exchanging presents with people and, and so on and so forth. Now, <clears throat> what is a gift? What is the definition of a gift? Have you ever thought about that? Anybody? John? Okay, really close. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so the, the actual definition is this, that uh, uh, something uh, transferred between two people with, with no idea with without any compensation okay so it's a gift that takes place a gift is something that takes place between two people without any strings attached no payment no anything <clears throat> if someone were to come up to you this christmas a family member we'll pick on your family because you know, you're stuck with your family. <laughs> Friends, you can just write off. Uh, but family, you're stuck with, okay? But a family member walks up to you and says, says, you know, hey, I, 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 I bought this present for you, and here, I want you to have it. And you say, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And you reach out to grab it, and they, and they, and they jerk it back, and they say, but there's one, there's one caveat. And that is, I don't know, you have to shine my shoes for a week. I, I don't know. But there's something attached to it. The question is, is that a gift? No, that, that, it, there, that is no gift. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that the gift of God is eternal life as long as you don't sin. Or as long as you do my will, or you give money to the church, or you fill in the blanks and so on and so forth. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It is a free gift. No strings attached. <clears throat> By pure definition, there cannot be any strings attached to the gift of salvation. I have heard many times, the pastor, 
What about people that have turned away from God? Legitimate question, is it not? I've even had people tell me, well, I, I just, I stopped believing in God. Let me ask you a question. When we are saved, we become what? The children of God, right? Through adoption. It talks about the adoption. Now, <clears throat> I, have a, I have a son. I'll pick on my son because he doesn't live here. Um, I have a son named Tim. And if <clears throat> Tim called me tomorrow and said, Dad, you talked about me in your sermon last night. And I'm really mad at you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disown you forever. I'm never going to talk to you again. Does that alter the fact that he's my son? No. In fact, in the state of Nevada, listen to me, John, this is important. In the state of Nevada, and in fact, in, mo in most states, I, I don't know if it's true in all 50 states, but I know it's true in, in Nevada, that if you adopt a child, if you have a natural-born child and you adopt a child, that you can write out your natural-born child out of your will. But you cannot write out an adopted child. Or you can't disown them, right? You can't do it. And the fact that we are, and the reason, and, and the, those law, that law actually comes from this Bible, because God in the Old Testament set that in that that law in motion. Why? For the very simple fact of that when <clears throat> salvation happens. There is no way I can lose or God can get mad enough at me that he could disown me. Important thought. Another thought. Let's just say this Christmas I, I, I spend $600,000 dollars. On a on a diamond on a diamond for my wife. It's I mean it's a rock. Okay. <laughs> and she gets so mad at me, and she would. But she gets so mad at me, she she walks out and she divorces me. But she takes the ring with her. Of course. Okay. <laughs> okay. My point is this, the, the, the relationship would be severed, but the gift never changes. It's still the gift, because she took it. <laughs> John chapter 10, verse 28 to 30, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So the first question that has come out of these three verses is, can someone lose their salvation? 
The second question is, is something that is even more, I think, more significant, and that is this. Is everyone who performs miracles a child of God? Okay, and this is this is this is something that I'll be honest with you. I have heard people say, um, uh, you know, hey, this person has the ability to do X, Y, and Z. They must be of God, John. Well, let's let's look at the Bible, okay? Look, go back to verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 7. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, what? Cast out devils? And in thy name done many wondrous works? Verse 23, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. That's a scary thought. And as I, as I thought about it, I, 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 I have a thought here. I want to read the thought so that I don't, I don't want to misquote myself here. This is my thought when I was studying for this. This is what I. What, this is my thought. I have never found anywhere in the Bible that God promises to bless the works of men apart from the truths of the Bible. And there are many people who have the care, uh, the charismatic personalities that can come and preach and. Share the gospel and convince people to get saved and yet not be saved themselves. You've seen it, I'm sure, haven't you? I have. Let me give you an example Judas Iscariot. Judas, along with the other disciples, preached the gospel. We assume that he healed the sick and performed the miracles that all the others did because there's nothing in the Bible that singles him out as not being able to do those things, but yet he was able to do them all. Yet the Bible calls him the son of perdition. In John chapter 17, says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them uh, <clears throat> in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I, kept, I have kept, and none of them uh, is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. God calls Judas the son of perdition. But yet he was able to do these miracles and tell people about Christ and witness and probably even led people to, to Jesus Christ. Judas performed these miracles over and over and over. 
So, can someone lose their salvation? No. Second question, is everyone who performs miracle a child of God? The answer to that is no. So, point number three, let's kind of conclude this thing and, and wrap it up. And <clears throat> We will be done early. Jesus is speaking here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 13, Jesus discusses the subject of true faith and false professions. Look at verses 13 and 14 of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> uh, chapter 7. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many uh, there be which go in thereat, be, uh, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Here Jesus is, is, is <clears throat> using a technique called contrast and comparison. And he's using the wide gate or the narrow gate uh, as, as, as contrast and comparison. And he's describing two choices in life. The broad road leads to eternal destruction where the narrow path leads to eternal life. And he introduces another thought in, the, in those words uh, in, the, in that passage there in verses 13 and 14 of the many and the few. In verses uh, 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 15 through 18, he uses another contrast and comparison uh, uh, technique, uh, and, he, and he uses two types of people, the sheep and the wolves, the grapes and the figs, the thorn bushes and the thistles, the good trees and the bad trees and the good fruit and the bad fruit. In verses 21 to 23, Jesus revisits this same concept. There are two people, two kinds of people in verses 21 to 23. And Jesus identifies these two groups of people as the known and the unknown. And please get this because this is really important. He does not identify them as the worthy or, and the unworthy. He identifies them as the known and the unknown. The known will have eternal life solely based on their obedience to the will of God and the fact that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The unknown will have sealed their fate by their rejection of Jesus Christ. Those are the two people that will stand before God one day. Those that know Him and those that do not. And not based on our abilities, not based on what we have done. Those who enter heaven will will do so not based on their own ability to uh, do miracles, not based on their own ability to do anything. 
but based on their knowledge of Jesus Christ. But who are the unfortunates, the unknowns? And we're actually told more about them than we realize in this passage. Uh, the first thing that we, we know is that there's going to be many of them. Because broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Broad is the way. The second thing we know is that uh, 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 they claim the name of Christ. Okay, these are people who have prophesied in the name of Christ. They have done things in the name of Christ. They just have never accepted Christ. So they, they, they claim to know Christ. These people are not the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Mormons and the, and, 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 you know, that's not who this, this is talking about. This is talking about people that go to Baptist churches, gospel preaching churches that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. These are people who have built huge churches and ministries in the name of Jesus Christ. But they've never been adopted into the family of God. I know personally people have come to our church that have told me this. Hey, I grew up in in such and such Baptist church, Tennessee or Kentucky or what I mean, Texas or whatever. Multiple times I've heard this. Hey, I grew up in such and such Baptist church. I was baptized when I was seven or whatever. Yeah, but have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? What's that? People who have grown up in church. They know the language. They 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 act. They dress right. They act right. They've been. They know all of the protocol for church, but yet they've never accepted Jesus Christ. I don't care who comes through that door. One of the first things I try and ask somebody is, "Hey, do you know the Lord?" I don't care what church you grew up in. It doesn't matter because there have been. I can't tell you how many people have gotten saved and baptized in our church that have grown up in church. I remember many years ago when we were still at uh, Northside in Charleston. Pastor got up and was talking and and <clears throat> informed the church that one of our deacons had gotten saved. A friend of mine, I knew him. Remember Larry? Got saved. A deacon. But that's that ripples through our church. Seven hundred, you know, seven, eight hundred people. Just it was like, what? But you know what I said? Praise God. And he's not the only deacon that I've seen saved. I've seen pastors get saved. 
our son being one of them. But I've seen other pastors get saved. Men standing in the pulpit, knowing the book inside and out, week after week after week, telling people, you need to get saved. And they themselves, not saved. You've seen it, haven't you? And Jesus will stay one day. I never knew you. Could it be as I was as I was going through this and thinking about the different people that I've known that have gotten saved and uh, that that should have been saved that have gotten saved, if you want to put it that way. As I was thinking about that, I thought, how many? How many people that I know will stand before God one day and say, I never knew you? People in our church that have testified to me, hey, I've, I know the Lord, I got saved, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know your heart. But as I started thinking about it, I thought, how many of them have convinced themselves that my service will save me? My ability to present the Word of God, uh, you know, I, my ability to do the things that I can do the, will be the thing that will save me. And they, they convince themselves, hey, I wouldn't be able to communicate these things if I wasn't saved. But yet God will say, I don't know you. Pride plays a big part in all that. No matter the cause, Jesus makes it clear that salvation comes only one way, and that is by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We read it a little bit ago. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If there was, if there was a way that we could earn our salvation by, by being a good preacher or great orator or a great soul winner or a, a very wealthy person that gives away thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. If there was a way to buy or earn, then it would not be a gift. But at the same time, it's nothing I can lose because of my failures in life. Now, Earlier, I teased about giving my wife a present and her divorcing me because of it. And if there was ever a reason for her to divorce me, it would be me doing something stupid like that. <clears throat> Oftentimes, we misunderstand the idea of a gift. A gift is something, 
I want you to I want you to think back very quickly here. What is the best gift you've ever received? Other than salvation, yes. The best physical gift that you've ever received. I don't know. I can't tell you what it is, obviously. I, I can't read your mind. But I could tell you this. Almost always, when I've asked that question to other people, almost always it's, it's usually something very insignificant that somebody either made or, or sacrificed for. Right? Those are the precious gifts that we that we tend to hold on to. Those are the things that tend to be the most precious things to us. The, the gift that somebody thoughtfully chose and sacrificed for or made. If my son did call me and said, Hey, Dad, we're done. We talked about it a minute ago. It would not alter the fact that he would always be my son. Would there be a problem with our relationship? Absolutely, there would be a problem with our relationship, but it would never alter the fact that he would be my son until he dies and I die. And it's the same with sin. When we allow sin to come into our lives and we turn away from God or we 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 fail to confess our sins it does not alter our relationship but it does alter our fellowship we will always be a child of God we may not always be in fellowship with God and we may not always have that communion if you would. But he's always going to be my father and I'm always going to be his son. And as I was, as I was reading this passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, and I was thinking about the final exam, the day that I stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for my life, it's going to be a glorious day and a nervous day at the same time. Because there are going to be things that he's going to bring to my remembrance, things that I'm going to be ashamed of. I, I just believe that. But it's a place where he's going to wipe away the tears. And it's going to be a place of joy. The final exam is not based on what you can do, what you can't do, it's going to be based on whether he knows you or he doesn't know you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for the word of God that is powerful and can change lives. We are truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. Lord, help us to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right.